You're listening to Fathoms, an Enneagram podcast, discovering our inner depths, one fathom at a time. All right. Well, hello again, friends. Welcome to another episode of Fathoms, an Enneagram podcast. So good to be with you. And today we are joined by, uh, let's just call him the Velvet Hammer of the Enneagram. (laughs) 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 I couldn't resist. Mario Sakura, our friend, prior guest uh, of Fathoms uh, and a teacher of ours in this Enneagram journey. And so good to have you back, Mario. First of all, how do you feel about that nickname? <laughs> yeah, well, I've been called worse things. So, uh, I'm okay with that. And, and I see that you've finally run out of people to talk to. And, yeah. Uh, starting to recycle. Cycling uh, it back. Right. Yeah, there you go. Yes. Uh, well, yeah. And I think uh, here, <laughs> whatever, whatever we end up talking about today, I would, I would imagine most people should go back and listen to our first two-parter with you. That's kind of a prerequisite on yes. where we're going, probably. Yes. Yep. So, um, and I've heard a number of people mention those two episodes as being really helpful to mm-hmm. them, mm-hmm. and um, it's probably resulted in some people taking your modules. <laughs> Just, I think so. Yeah. I've, res- I've, yeah, I've, I've referenced has. it like, yeah. hey, if you want to hear what he yeah. and his team's you know take is, um, yeah. listen to these two episodes. So it's a good primer, so to speak, right? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. It was, uh, first of all, it was fun to do. And I appreciate you guys inviting me and inviting me back. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a good overview of how we approach things. So Mario, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on is because, you know, this this theme for us in this season uh, three is about story, you know, how the, we're telling stories, what are the stories we're telling, what stories we need to drop and how to understand the stories of others. And, you know, I remember uh, one of the first things I read from your book, your book and from hearing you teach is you were you were in I don't want to tell the story I'll, I'll leave it up to you but you were you were reading a little bit of Naranjo and Maitri about the in the inner triangle which kind of birthed uh, this way of telling how to undo your story or what to do about your story I wonder if you, right. we could get into that that's what we we're trying to yeah. draw from here yeah in um, uh, both Naranjo's character in Neurosis and Sandra Matri's The Spiritual Dimension of the Enneagram, they describe the inner triangle of the Enneagram as being representative of how we go to sleep to ourselves. Right? Mm-hmm. How do we lose contact with who we are? Uh, with How do we lose contact with our um, attention and intentionality, right? So, uh, point nine represents falling into autopilot, right? Point six represents the anxiety that comes along with, you know, feeling comfortable and then being shaken out of that comfort by some in- environmental stimulus. And point three represents the way that we make that anxiety go away by uh, identifying with some narrative about ourselves. And so as I was reading that, and I was at, at the same time, we were writing an awareness to action, and I was looking for a simple three-step model for growth, right? Because that's one of the things I found missing in the Enneagram literature at the time is, all right, I know my type, what do I do about it? And I'm a simple-minded person, and so I like threes because I, my wife will tell you, you put four things on a list and you're going to get three of them from me. <laughs> um, you know, my brain just doesn't work that far. So, so I thought, okay, well, if this is the way we go to sleep, maybe we reverse it and it's the way we wake up. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so at point nine, the step is to start paying attention, 
Dante's uh, Divine Comedy starts off with, you know, midway through life, I woke and found myself lost in the woods, right? Mm -hmm. So it's this right. idea of, mm -hmm. you know, wait, where am I? How did I get here? And this is an experience we all have all the time, right? You're driving a car and all of a sudden you kind of wake up and realize, I haven't been paying attention. I don't know where I am. So paying attention is the first piece of it. Then once I have attention, developing some intentionality about it. Okay, well, I've been doing this. What do I want to do instead? Now, the problem is, is that you know, what point three represents in that falling asleep to ourselves is this creation of narratives, right? Mm -hmm. This creation and repetition of narratives about who we are, about how the world is, about how you guys are. You know, what do I think of people from the Midwest, for example? You know, I have these implicit narratives about them. Careful and, uh, now. Yeah, well, you know, I'm just... Uh, it's <laughs> what the first do you thing, think about people? It's, it's, it's the first thing that came to mind as I saw these three, you know, healthy, handsome Midwesterners <laughs> staring back at me on the screen, right? So, um, it, uh, so we have these narratives that hold us locked in place. And when we attempt to change, it usually requires some going against a comforting narrative that we have held on to for some length of time. Right? Mm -hmm. So we get this built-in conflict between the change we want to make and some element of our narrative that has been comforting and useful for us in the past. So the work is all about resolving that conflicting commitment, right? That inner conflict between the element of my story and the change I want to make. And the only way to do that is to rewrite the narrative, right? I mean, so so the work is really start, well, it starts with paying attention, but then it really gets going with the rewriting of our narratives, okay? Yeah. Uh, about who we are, about how the world is. And then we have to take action, right? Action is represented by the third piece at point six. I actually have to do something. Right, because if all we do is tell ourselves a different story, then we're just going to fall back into that old narrative, right? So yeah. it's by taking some action that we start working with the clay that is our brain that builds a, a, a support foundation for new behavior. Yeah. So, so to be clear, you know, if any and any listeners, if you want to do this, you can. You can draw a triangle on a piece of paper, right, and then and put the point nine at the top the point three at the bottom right and the point six and then kind of trace your way through what you were just talking about in terms of how right. we fall asleep right where we right. from the nine to the six to the three right. and then what you're what you're saying is we if we reverse that cycle through the yeah. triangle then that's where a lot of growth and development occurs right exactly and in fact i would argue that it's the only real way to sustain growth and development right mm -hmm. Because if, we, if we're just telling ourselves the same stories over and over again, right, it's going gonna, it's gonna to pull you back, right? You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's, you know, it's uh, uh, Michael in Godfather 3, you know, just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in, you know. It's, it's right. I, you know, I'm, I'm stuck in this same mental environment. Behavioral change will falter because it goes against the story I'm telling mm -hmm. myself. Can you give us a, a simple example of how one would go about that process if they've identified a certain story that they're like, hmm, this is not a this is not adaptive story. This is not helpful. For me, it's always about identifying friction. 
Okay. This is why some element of emotional intelligence is so necessary, right? So emotional intelligence is the ability to uh, recognize our emotional states, name them, and then manage our responses to them. Okay. So emotional intelligence is never being angry, for example, but it's to recognize that I am angry and then manage my behavior and my attitudes in relationship to that anger and letting it pass you know, mm -hmm. when it does and so forth. Okay. The other side of it is recognizing you know, other people's emotional states and managing our reactions to them. So what are typically called negative emotions are a form of friction, right? Anger is a great example, shame, you know, fear, etc. It's some uh, frustration, some uh, emotional friction that points to a conflict between what we say we want on the one hand and what some other part of our brain is telling us we really want. Okay. Um, mm. An example I always use, and well, I probably used it last time, so I'll try to think of a different one. Okay, so um, I don't know, let's, let's say a type two, okay, um, an Enneagram type two who is striving to feel connected. Okay, this is kind of what drives much of their thinking, feeling, and, and mm -hmm. behaving is this desire to connect to other people. Right. But they start to find out that their attempts to connect to other people actually cause them to suffer or cause mm. the people around them to suffer, right? I want to connect with this person, but they're not giving me the connection that I want. Or um, all of a sudden in this codependent relationship, okay, so I want to connect with people, but I'm doing it in a dysfunctional way that's not serving me or the people I care about. So that's the, that's the trigger to start paying attention. Okay, so the question now becomes, what are my implicit definitions of what it means to be connected? Mm -hmm. okay. And it can be challenging to f see this on our own, right? This right. is why it helps to have somebody, you know, even if it's just a good friend who knows us well, to say, well, you know, maybe you're thinking about it this way. Mm. And because, look, if, if, if we could see it, we would change it already. Right. I, I mean, right. if it was that clear to us, we would change it already. So we have to do a little bit of work, whether it's self-reflection or directed reflection from with the help of somebody else to see how we're implicitly defining connection in a way that is not allowing us to integrate a healthier, more appropriate, more adaptive pattern of behavior. Okay? With twos, it's often around setting boundaries. Uh, and to a two who's living this narrative of connection means having no boundaries, mm. then setting up a boundary seems counterproductive, right? Well, how am I going to connect to people if I focus on building healthier boundaries, right? Well, let's think about this, okay? Let's work on this story, you know. Good fences make good neighbors, you know, to, mm -hmm. to misapply the Robert Frost uh, <laughs> right. uh, poem. You know, he was actually against fences and walls. But, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, when we have effective boundaries, we have healthier relationships because I don't impose on you. You don't impose on sure. me. Sure. Right? right. I don't allow you to, you know, uh, take some sort of uh, control over me that's harmful for me or dysfunctional for me. And I don't do the same for you. So the you know counterintuitively for the two they need to understand and rewrite their story to say you know what i can actually be more connected to people in healthier you know more adaptive ways by having good mm -hmm. boundaries and this is a very different story from right. what they are implicitly yeah. understanding. 
And this is the dilemma is that we often don't know what our stories are. Right. Mm. Yeah, there's something that we're living without really understanding it or it's recognizing that it. That autopilot nature, right? Yes, right. exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. The yeah. scripts are kind of running, right? Yeah. Yes. Behind the scenes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So what it sounds like is you're naming so like our three our three components of knowing your stories, knowing your what stories to drop and understanding the stories of others. The part of knowing your story is really just identifying where's the friction, where's the pain point in my life that just I just keep running up against. And then that's when you go through that process to know to know how how to drop that story because it's not just like a eh. I'm done. It's just, yeah. You, yeah. 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 Rewrote it. Check. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. And, and it's, it's a cyclical process, right? I mean, it's right. not, a, it's not a straight line. Right. Okay? <laughs> you know, the triangle is not a circle, but it is, you know, you're going around and around and we have to sure. keep doing this, right? I mean, if it was something we could just do once, then, you know, I'd have to find another line of work, right? Because as, a, as an executive coach, I, you know, <laughs> you'd have worked I, yourself out of a job a long time exactly ago. Exactly right. You know? Just stop yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Uh, and you know, I'd be a much better person, right? Because I would have done it just once. But we we have to, you know, we use the term authenticity at point three uh, when mm -hmm. we talk about rewriting the story, and authenticity has the same root of the word author. Okay, mm. so there's this idea of scripting, of writing. It's an active process rather than a passive process. See, most of our stories are passive processes, right? We develop them without realizing that we've developed them. Okay, mm -hmm. and then we've reinforced them over and over again without right. realizing that we've um, done so. And so it's this active step of rewriting the story. And it's the friction that you're talking about, Creek, of, you know, something doesn't feel right, something's not working, I'm suffering, that says, hey, take a look at your story here, right? right? And it's specifically this element of the story, mm -hmm. and start doing some work, you know? So, the analogy we can have is that, you know, each of us is an author, as we are in the process of becoming more authentic and you know we're writing a an autobiography that's never really done right mm -hmm. you got to keep going back and tweaking it and adding to it and refining it and so the idea of our stories is not just to change them once and think okay that's done but now i have to iterate and fill out the story one of my favorite authors is somerset mom and uh he wrote a book called the summing up and it's kind of this, you know, ongoing thing. And when he turned 70, he said, well, I've reached that point, you know, where I've reached my, you know, three score and 10. And so this will probably be my last main entry here to this and so forth. And then a few pages later, he says, well, now I'm 80. And, you know, I've learned a few things. And now here's what I have to write about. You know, so it's, it's an ongoing mm. thing, right? It just doesn't sure. stop and you're done. It's keep going, keep rewriting it as each new piece of information comes in to challenge our narratives. Yeah. Which then I think what we hope for often, which is not possible or feasible is that the, the rewriting occurs like on stone tablets forever, right. Right? <laughs> that the, yeah, it's right. permanent. Yeah. Like, okay, I've yeah. identified that this story is false or limiting. So, and through this process of awareness and authenticity and action, mm -hmm. I can now rewrite that story and you know, I'm done. <laughs> right. 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 Um, but what you're saying is, no, this is, this is an ongoing because, because we have 
a personality, you know, that we are continuing yes. with, right? And, yeah. and so it's an ongoing kind of almost daily, right? Yes. Um, identif- identification, uh, raising awareness, uh, pursuing authenticity in order to act, you know, accordingly in these new stories, right? Would that be accurate? Yeah, yeah it would be. So I, I think of growth having two forms, okay? Uh, one is related to virtue, okay? And virtue is a, is a habit that we develop so that we don't have to think about it, right? You know, I, I have four kids, okay? And I always tell people as a, as a parent, one of the things I've learned is that you're at the mercy of your kids being who they are. Right. And it's <laughs> exactly. not that much. We can <laughs> That's exactly do, right. Right. You know, and, so true. Yeah. you know, and we, you know, and when we first go into this, we like to think, oh yeah, I'm going to create this Uber child. I'm going right. to, you know, he's going to reflect all my same values, all my same virtues, all this sort of thing, but they don't, right. They're who they are, but what a parent can do. I always, I like to think there's two things that a parent could slash should do. Number one, create a loving environment for your children so mm-hmm. that they can flourish. Okay. Number two, teach them manners, right? Yeah. Teach them to say please and thank you and hello, Mrs. Jones and, you know, all these sort of things without having to think about it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, because these are good things to do. Peter Drucker talked about uh, manners being the lubricant of an organization. Right? Yeah. They mm-hmm. just make things run more smoothly. So we want to cultivate virtue that we don't have to think about. Right. We don't yeah. want to think about should I say please or thank you. It should be an automatic thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Being nice to people should be a virtue. And, you know, so there are certain virtuous habits that is why we have this capacity for autopilot because we don't we shouldn't have to think about them right we just right. do it so we want to develop that now the other side of this is around intentionality right enhancing our capacity for intentionality and that's when we encounter situations that are novel right it's not just about passing your neighbor on the street and saying hello but mm-hmm. it's hey wait i've never faced this before or sure. what i've done in the past isn't quite working so how do i think about this and so part of our work with the enneagram is developing both sides of this right what virtues do i need to develop i as an eight have to work really hard at being nice to people Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't know if I shouldn't say being an eight, just being who I am. Right. For whatever mm-hmm. reason, that's something that doesn't come natural to me. And I've had to work on. Right? And my wife always said, well, what kind of person has to work on? That? Right? But, <laughs> you know. so, but hey, we now we call you the Velvet Hammer. So, the Velvet yeah. Hammer. Right. So I've, I've coated that hammer with velvet, you know, over time. Right. So, uh, but, you know, so you, you don't feel the crushing blow until it's too late. <laughs> <laughs> See, oh, this looks like it'll be. Ooh, yeah, so, um, so, uh, so it's about recognizing. Okay, you know, Creek is a four, so here are the virtue things he's got to work on. Drew is a three. Here are the virtue things he's going to work on. But yeah. then we have to develop this capacity for intentionality, right? The ability to say, "Hey, wake up, okay? Now start working with the story because it's not working." Right. Mm. So, but to your point, Drew, and this is my long explanation to a very simple question. <laughs> yes, it's every day, every day, over and over and over again, mm-hmm. every day. Right. Yeah. yeah. I want to just keep coming back to this point because it, I think it is quickly missed. And I think kind of unconsciously, we don't want to think about this. But yeah. one of the biggest wake ups for me is the uncomfortable sensations within my body that we call emotions, 
that we put mm-hmm. stories to. Mm-hmm. My immediate reaction is to try to get rid of them. Sometimes mm-hmm. to enhance them, but that's kind of just a, a me thing, a four mm-hmm. thing. But to the, they are in, it is information. And I yep. think this is, this is what I mostly work on with my clients is let's, let's just start feeling those sensations, drop the stories, and then, and then we can, once we're able to um, integrate those sensations, we can actually find the stories and adequately work with them mm-hmm. and not just keep perpetuating them or avoiding them. So pain, as uncomfortable as it is, when you're feeling depressed or whatever, it's, that's, that is your wake-up call. Every yes. time you feel pain yes. or suffering, that is your wake-up call. And the more you push it away, the more it's just going gonna, gonna to get mm-hmm. worse. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you're absolutely right. Um, these, these feelings are indicators, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're like lights flashing on the control panel in a way. Sure. You know, at, at the risk of you know, taking too materialistic a perspective here. You know, a, a book that I read fairly recently that I, I really, really like and recommend to listeners is Seven and a Half Lessons mm-hmm. About the Brain by um, Elizabeth Feldman Barrett or something like that. Mm-hmm. And one of the points she makes, she's a neuroscientist, and one of the things that neuroscientists are talking about these days is how the brain is really just an organ that helps us make predictions about our environment so that we can allocate resources and energy accordingly. Right. Okay. So basically what that means is there's some part of my brain that is constantly in this state of reaction to my environment Mm -hmm. so that I can calibrate in some way how I'm going to engage with my environment. And one of the ways that the brain speaks to us, you know, or calibrates is through feelings, right? I mean, it's feelings that motivate us to either move towards something or away from something. And then so what happens is at kind of a more sophisticated level of the brain, we react to those signals and create an interface with our Mm -hmm. environment by creating stories. Mm -hmm. Okay. And Again, most of our stories work most of the time, right? right. You know, we, we shouldn't denigrate stories. We do it for a reason. We do it because it's effective. It's an effective way of interfacing with our environment, except when it's not, except when that story right. is outdated or applied to circumstance A when circumstance B is novel right? Mm-hmm. or different. Right? Yeah. And this is where we have to go from that just feeling state to now kind of a thinking state state mm-hmm. right of you know but an intentional thinking state that involves mm-hmm. the rewriting of yeah the yeah um, no, and that's an important point that it, it does work for us most of the time right yes. which is the function yes. of the personality exactly but I, right but i wonder if you would have any words of advice or encouragement for listeners who when they uh, are at the point of awareness they do feel what creek was talking about which is all these negative emotions and they want to beat themselves up or you know, they wallow or, yeah, just feel awful about themselves because that's that can happen, right? If, if we realize the story was really bad <laughs> yeah. and we need to write a new one, it can be hard to write a new one if we just feel really bad about the story we've been living, right? So do you yeah. have any thoughts there? Yeah. I, I don't want to draw a, a false distinction between Eastern and Western mindsets, but I will say that the Western mindset is based on this good versus evil 
um, sinful versus pure division in the way that we think about human nature, right? And so, you know, the Manichaeans, you know, divided things between evil and good and saw the world as a, a battle between those two things. And that influenced us to a great degree, right? So mm -hmm. there's this tendency to develop shame or guilt around inefficiencies or inadequacies in some way right? Right. And so and, and again that's just part of the way that the brain works but it's reinforced through a lot of western approaches to things and a lot of way that the enneagram is taught is rooted in that western tradition of you know good versus bad Right. There's right. the there's the good essence and then or there's the bad ego, ego slash right, right. personality. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's 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 a false duality. Right. It's it's just it's a, it's a false division that sets up this demonization of very natural, very human tendencies. You guys may recall from the training, we talk about the importance of the accelerator of acceptance yeah. right? mm -hmm. is this understanding that the only way I will grow, the only way that I will improve, the only way that I will find comfort is to start from a position of acceptance. Now, that's not this, well, the universe has its own purpose and, you know, things all work out for the, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about, right? Uh, what I'm talking about here is that if we don't start with the position of, I am only human, and I am doing what humans do. But skillful humans learn to manage those things, right? Mm -hmm. And there are tools for learning to manage those things. So when I start to feel guilty about shame, yeah, I need to see shame as an indicator of something that needs to be fixed. Okay, mm -hmm. I feel bad because I did something that I feel bad about. Let me go remedy that in some yeah. way. Yeah. Right? So in line with what you're saying about acceptance and actually kind of leveraging shame, I think, uh, recently I sort of uncovered a better understanding for myself, uh, a helpful distinction between shame and what I've often also heard as toxic shame, kind of the difference between the two. So toxic shame is I am deficient versus leveraging shame, which is I am limited. So I am deficient versus I am limited. So I'm curious, Mario, if you could expound on that with where we're headed. So I, I like that, and I would agree with it, and I'd take it a little bit different, uh, slightly, slightly different. And yeah, I'm limited, and I'm limited because I'm human, mm -hmm. right? So um, I'm just doing what humans do mm -hmm. here. Right. And we can be a skillful human or a non-skillful human, right? And, and, you know, and, and I think it was before the podcast we were talking about definition of spirituality, right? So for me, uh, spirituality is all about cultivation of wisdom, compassion, and efficacy, and uh, trying to find some sense of meaning and connection to something beyond ourselves, okay? So, but it is about how do I become a more skillful human? And the only way we can become a more skillful human is to recognize that all skills go through this phase, right? You know, you don't expect children to solve quadratic equations when they're four, right? Yeah, you right. start off with two plus two equals four, and then, you know, and you move up. And the human path 
is one of moving up and becoming more skillful in managing shame and responding to shame rather than thinking shame is part of this something going on with the ego and i need to demonize and reject mm -hmm. the ego and just let my essence shine forth because then everything will be wonderful right? no that's not <laughs> how is, human right nature there, right. works right you <laughs> yeah. know i had to get to that point you right? did yeah, yeah yeah so you know it's not just you know stop doing this and everything right. will be fine no mm -hmm. it's where am i on my on my path of growth sure and what do i need to do next yeah i've heard toxic shame versus healthy shame i don't I've, i don't know if there is necessarily clear distinctions that can be drawn but i have heard that you know shame itself kind of tells that tells you that your whole self is bad or wrong right mm -hmm. Where, which is very different than guilt, which is I did something wrong. Now you could perhaps feel guilty about something that shouldn't you shouldn't feel guilty for. You know, it can be misapplied or misappropriated, right? But yeah. um, I do think that there's a distinction, maybe that we can draw there. Yeah, well, we can. And and, and again, um, you know, the whole point of this is to define our terminology here, right? So when I use the word guilt, what am I meaning by that? When I use the word shame, what am I meaning by that? And you know, for me, all of these things, you know, I don't think there's like this. You know, mm -hmm. well, you cross the street, you're into toxic shame, but you go over here, you're into regular <laughs> shame. You know, it's yeah, yeah. You know, what do we mean yeah. by this? So for me, toxic shame is something that keeps you stuck, right? Sure. Uh, shame is this feeling that we get that says, you know, you know, you might have done something that you need to remedy. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. So go about remedying it. Now, of course, what we tend to do is we f we fall into this battle with cognitive dissonance, right? right? Well, it can't be that I did something bad because I'm a good person and good people don't do mm -hmm. bad things. So I'm going to not deal with it, but I'm going to stay stuck because of that in this feeling of shame that could develop into something more toxic if I don't address it. Right. Yeah. So it's all about recognizing again, I'm human. Yeah. I did something that I need to fix. Okay. Mm -hmm. For me, guilt has more of a, a cognitive element to it. I almost, see. Right. You know, it, yeah. it works in this. It goes beyond a feeling to now a pattern of thinking about it. But again, mm -hmm. these are just distinctions. Okay. That yeah. uh, talk about the definition. Yeah. Maria, I'm curious. We've been talking about how how powerful a good story is. Could you share with us your thoughts on on uh, maybe the dangers and harm that a bad or inaccurate story can be? Because stories are so powerful for us, they're such a foundational part of how we interact with our worlds. They can also be dangerous, right? And um, you know, uh, stories are a way to not just work on ourselves. They can also be the way in which we resist working on ourselves, right? They can be used very powerfully there. They can be the way that we inspire other people, and they can be the way that we manipulate other people. And one of the reasons why this season that you guys are working on, one of the reasons why this topic is so important is that if we don't recognize the power of story and the workings of stories mm -hmm. we can be manipulated by them and we can be held into place and we can be abused by them and th there's a tendency to want to create compelling stories even where they're not necessary 
right? There's that famous, well, I don't know if it's famous, but there's that uh, video on YouTube out there where Naranjo admits to making up the Sufi origins of the Enneagram because he knew it was a better story than mm -hmm. the one he had, right? And he said, yeah. quotes Oscar Wilde, a great storyteller, and says, if you want somebody to believe, you know, you say somebody famous said it because it's a better story if the Sufi said it than if Claude Enrano said it I guess we have to be really careful in recognizing the stories we're being told about things and we have to have the tools for dissecting not just our stories but the stories that other people tell us Mm -hmm. This is why critical thinking skills are so important. Right? It's why recognizing logical fallacies are so important. Yeah. This is one of the things that you know that we teach when we teach people how to coach, for example. Right? Recognizing cognitive biases and logical fallacies. Why? Because your clients will tell you stories that are riddled with logical fallacies and cognitive dissonance, and you can't help them rewrite the story if you don't recognize these flaws and you can't rewrite your own stories if you don't recognize these either right so it's really important to recognize the danger of the power of stories mm -hmm. and not just keeping ourselves stuck in place but creating these fictions about the world that we think are transformative or helpful or revolutionary in some way but are really just keeping us stuck in the same old places sure and I, I think you'd agree with this as well, that certain stories are exactly what we need in certain times to make us feel safe or in order for us to be able to take that next step out of that story. So there's there's an evolutionary process to story and, and the stories that we believe. Absolutely. Evolutionary in a uh, kind of intellectual sense, right, right. you know, rather than a biological sense. Uh, so, yes, right. I mean, it's again, it's, um, you know, real effective growth revolves around our continuing ongoing everyday work with our stories. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what any good writer will do will get feedback on their stories, right? All good writers mm -hmm. have an editor, right? Somebody who comes along and says, yeah, you know, yeah, you might want to work on this line or you might want to take this one out and so forth, okay? Because mm -hmm. we can fool ourselves, right? I mean, any, anybody mm -hmm. who, you know, uh, doesn't let anybody else read their their novel can think they've written the greatest novel since, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, so it, it's good to have people with a good eye who can give us right. feedback on the narrative and say, yeah, you might want to think about it this way, right? It's good to know the elements of a good story, okay? uh, you know, the psychological elements. That's why the Enneagram so valuable because it's this, you know, it, it's this great primer on character, right? right? I mean, that's mm -hmm. that's what it is. It's a, it's a model of character and the way these characters live out their stories and what yeah. can be done about it. And you talk about the, like the maturation process of, I mean, we don't necessarily have time to get into the whole authentic conversation, but how a, a tree doesn't come into being being fully a tree. Yeah. It starts yeah. as a seed, mm -hmm. as an acorn. Yeah, and, and this is, I, I don't know if we touched on this in our first uh, conversation, but this touches on the whole issue I have with the Neoplatonic essentialism at the root of a lot of the way the Enneagram's taught. It's this idea that these things exist fully formed, right? If, right. We, if we shed the ego, then everything will be fine because my essence shines forth. 
it's just not the way it works, right? I mean, right. it's it, you know, it's these these elements are there in an immature form, right? Mm -hmm. You know, humans are in the process of becoming. They're in the you know, an, an acorn is not an oak tree with an ego, right? Um, <laughs> it, you know, it's 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 an acorn. You know? it, it, it's something that needs to grow into. <laughs> And you like that one. I just made that up too. That, yeah, you know, that's great. Yeah. That might uh, that could have to be a pull quote. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? uh, you know, it's something that needs nurturing and development and growth. Yeah. It needs sufficient water and sufficient light and sufficient, mm -hmm. you know, uh, soil. And the, the more sufficient those things are, the more quickly it'll grow into that oak tree and the more robust that oak tree will be. But it's got to become and mm -hmm. the, the, the same is with each one of us right that's yeah. you know this great quote from lucretius you know the, the, a man doesn't just pop from the womb right it's, a baby becomes a man yeah yeah i think that and that's a good word uh, i know we're running out of time but that's i think that's a good word to uh, maybe encourage us all uh, because i i do think when we become more aware of these cyclical patterns in our life that we have deemed limited or false right mm -hmm. or unhelpful it, i think there can be a tendency to think okay how do i get rid of this as quickly as possible you know so that i can get there right and i think what you're describing here in this awareness action process is an iterative incremental journey of becoming which yes. uh, is is hopefully encouraging <laughs> for for those of us yeah. who who are not where we want to be, you know, all the time, yeah. or realize, hey, we're still working through some things. Very yeah. freeing. Yeah, our yeah. stories are still being written, and that's a good thing, right? You're, you're absolutely right, Drew, and it is, in my view, encouraging to understand that again, nothing happens all at once. Right. Mm -hmm. Everything takes time. Everything takes work. If you if you want to run a marathon, you know, you don't just go out tomorrow and run a marathon, right? You build your way up to there. And some days your training is going to be more fruitful than others. And some right. days you'll get up and you just won't get out of bed and you won't run and you'll feel bad. But you'll say, well, I'll, I'll get back up and do it tomorrow. And as long as, you know, we do it more often than not, then, you know, that's okay. But I always tell my clients when I give them an action plan, prepare to fail and prepare to fail often, okay? Mm -hmm. Because you will. Any attempt at change involves failure after failure after failure, but in time, you start to see that you fail less, and you fail less dramatically, and you achieve mm -hmm. what you set out to achieve a little bit more. And mm -hmm. that's the way growth happens. I'm yeah. not a big fan on you know of dramatic, significant change. It really doesn't happen that often. Mm. Yeah, I was going to ask for final words, but that was pretty. That's pretty good. Final we got words. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, Wonderful. So, so, so let me throw a pitch in here. I hate to, yeah. I hate to oh, cheapen. Do. I hate to cheapen the brilliance of those closing words. <laughs> there, but, uh, but, but since we're talking about story, yes. uh, you know, I, I just want to alert. You. Yeah. I, I just wanted to alert your listeners to the Enneagram in a Movie podcast, where we talk about the, uh, you know. Um, the Enneagram through stories, right? Movies and storytelling. Yeah. So uh, if people are you know, interested in that, I'd encourage them to check it out. We have a great producer and uh, editor of yeah. the Enneagram in a Movie podcast. Interesting. And it, it's not me, I can tell you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no one wants that. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And where else can 
just to remind listeners where else people can find you besides the Enneagram in a Movie podcast. Uh, yeah, so awarenessaction.com is our uh, our website and also I'm about to launch a mariosakura.com website. So uh, right. keep an eye out for that as well. Right. Very cool. And we'll put right. links to those in Great. the show notes as usual. Yeah. So. Great. Thanks, Thanks guys. It's been real fun. Uh, you guys are doing great work. I got a lot of time for you guys. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, the highest praise. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Keep up the great work All that right. you're doing. Thanks, Velvet right. Hammer. Thank right. you. Thanks, Maya. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Fathoms, an Enneagram podcast. If you found this episode helpful in any way, consider sharing it with a friend or family member. We are so honored to be on this journey with you, discovering our inner depths, one fathom at a time.